Our text is found in verses 8 and 9 of 1 Peter chapter 5. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. As I've indicated to you tonight, uh, we'll be looking at verse 7, uh, where we're told to cast all our care upon the Lord. He's our friend. Uh, but then we have this great enemy, your adversary, the devil, and we are to fight against him, to resist him, and to overcome him. Now, the first thing I want you to see is this, that the devil uh, is an enemy whose aim is to destroy us. Now, the devil doesn't know uh, who may prove to be false after making a profession of faith. That, I think, is implied in the text. He's seeking whom he may devour. And he's had some success uh, with those who professed the name of the Lord. Uh, the Bible tells us, the Lord knoweth them that are his. But again, it implies the devil doesn't know uh, who the people of God are. In Luke chapter 22, Christ said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. The word you there is plural. It has been often pointed out that this is one of the beauties of the authorized version of the Bible. It distinguishes between the second person singular and the second person plural. Second person singular, thou and thee and thy. Second person plural, you and your. Uh, there's a difference, and it's clearly marked here. Christ says, Satan hath desired to have you. In other words, the devil desired to have all of the apostles, not just Peter. He wanted all of them, and he wanted to sift them. He wanted to find out what they were made of, to see if they were really born again. Now, he had success with Judas Iscariot. Judas was a professing believer. Judas preached. Judas saw miracles wrought. And yet, he proved to be faithless. And the devil took him. He never was truly saved, never truly a child of God. In the Old Testament, we have Gehazi. Gehazi was the attendant, the close attendant of Elisha the prophet. And yet Gehazi, he lusted after lands and wealth and power. And it seems he was no true follower of the Lord. We have a man called Demas in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul mentions him in, I think, a couple of his epistles. And he's a colleague. There he is with Paul. And yet, at the end of his life, when Paul is writing and sending out greetings, he mentions Demas, but in a different vein. Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. So uh, th there is a sad fact that some who profess the name of Christ do not really belong to him. And the devil doesn't know. He doesn't know who the true followers of Christ are. Yes, some he may see uh, are genuine, but there are others, and uh, he wants to sift them, he wants to sort them out, he wants to destroy them. 
and he probes, he tempts, he persecutes, he slanders. He seeks to find the weak points in the Christian to see if they are really committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how he thought about Job. Job was a fine, godly man, truly saved. And yet, when the Lord pointed him out to the devil, hast thou considered my servant Job? The devil said, you blessed him. You put a hedge about him on every side. He doesn't fear you for no reason. He, he reverences you because look at all the animals he has. And if you count them up, there's 11,500 animals. He has quite a considerable stock of animals. Uh, he has many servants. He has great respect in the land. Uh, why wouldn't he fear you? It's what he gets out of you uh, that makes him reverence you and respect you and appear to be a godly man. But if you take everything from him, he'll turn around and he'll curse you to your face. That's what the devil says to the Lord. And the, the devil thinks, the devil thinks he can destroy many who profess to be saved. And he also thinks he can mar the testimony of those who are saved by leading them into sin. And some people don't want to look too closely as to whether they are saved. I've quoted again and again, 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, examine yourselves, whether ye be in the faith. Uh, some months ago, I was watching a program or part of a program uh, that dealt with collapsing bridges uh, and catastrophes sometimes followed, great catastrophes. Now, if those bridges had been examined closely beforehand, the weak spots would have been noticed, metal fatigue and other problems, and suddenly cars are crossing over them and down went uh, the bridge, and uh, people lost their lives. And it is a warning to us. Are we living a life that is pleasing to God, or are we resting uh, on an empty profession. Christ said, by their fruits ye shall know them. Now, as I've indicated to you, if the devil can't get us to deny Christ, he will seek to ruin our testimony. He very effectively did that to David, and he very effectively did that to his son Solomon. And uh, we see it again and again, a generation uh, that has walked with God, by and large, but something goes wrong in the next generation and the generation following. And it is a tragedy. It is a tragedy. So we must remember that the devil, he's not our friend. He is out to destroy us. Remember our text, the last few words almost of the verse, or at least the first of the two verses, seeking whom he may devour. And that expression devour has the force of swallowing down greedily. He's greedily looking for souls to destroy, looking for Christians uh, to destroy their testimony, and looking for those who are not genuinely saved. And that leads us to a second point. We want to probe more deeply into the character of the one who is out to destroy us. I know there's a great deal of mystery in regard to the devil and how he fell. It is believed that he's spoken of in Ezekiel chapter 28. And it says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. 
thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Uh, thou hast corrupted uh, thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. And the Lord says, I will cast thee down, uh, I will cast thee to the ground, I will lay thee uh, before kings that they may behold thee. God says, I'm bringing you down. You were filled with beauty. Uh, he was the chief, it's believed, uh, of the creation of God until iniquity was found in him. He turned against God. He wanted to be as great as God. Indeed, he wanted to be greater than God. And Christ said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. As soon as he rebelled, down he went. Down he went with a great crash as lightning strikes so suddenly. So the devil was dashed from heaven. But that that brings us to think about him, to think about his character. Notice that he's called your adversary. That word adversary is a very interesting word. It is found just five times in the New Testament. It's found here. And in the other four instances, it is found in what we call a legal, a legal setting. And for example, in Matthew 5 and verse 25, Christ said, Agree with thine adversary uh, quickly whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary, there it's a second time, deliver thee to the judge. So you're in court here. The adversary deliver thee to the judge. The judge deliver thee to the officer. That's uh, the uh, prison warder uh, or uh, the jailer of the prison. And thou be cast into prison. So the adversary is an adversary in four out of five instances in law. And that makes us think of the skill that the devil has. Uh, many years ago in Ulster, uh, we had a very famous barrister, QC, that's Queen's Council, by the name of Desmond Bowen. And I remember 45 or 46 years ago going to watch him in action. There was a case that I was interested in, that many other people were interested in. Some men were taken to court. Uh, they were charged uh, with obstructing the police in the prosecution of their duty. And Desmond Bowle brought in the police officers and cross-examined them, brought in uh, the man who was in charge of the police operation uh, on the day in question, and he cross-examined him. Uh, now, the the prosecuting barrister, uh, I, I know the man, uh, well, at least I don't know him personally, but I, I heard him uh, speak of his brother after his brother had died. He was a saved man. Uh, and he brought the case for the prosecution, brought it as skillfully as he could. But Desmond Bowl brought the case uh, for the defense, cross-examined uh, the officers of the police and others, uh, and... At the end of the day, he summed it all up. And when the judge came to give his verdict, it seemed as if he agreed with every word that Desmond Bowl had spoken. The result was those men were acquitted. They were cleared. They walked out of that court and they were able to hold their heads high. Skill, skill. Uh, here is a, a skilled advocate speaking, or he was a skilled advocate, speaking for those men. 
Well, let me put it this way to you. What Desmond Bowe did was child's play in comparison with the skill that the devil has. He is our adversary, and he comes against us using all the skill and all the cunning and all the malice of thousands of years of knowledge and of acquaintance with human beings. You find Christian, and John Bunyan describes it well, in the valley of the shadow of death, and he's frightened. And at one point, we are told he passed the entrance to hell, and a demon came behind him, and he whispered horrible blasphemies into his ear. And what is Bunyan saying there? Well, he actually tells us that Christian didn't know whether these were his own thoughts or if they were coming from the outside. He's telling us the devil is able to baffle us. He's able to confuse us. He's able to make us wonder, am I saved or am I unsaved? Am I a child of God or am I a child of wrath? Am I bound for heaven or am I bound for hell? And then add another word in here. Your adversary, the devil. The Greek word is diabolus. I'm sure you use the word diabolical. You say that's diabolical. You're expressing disgust and you're showing your hatred of something that is very sinister and very evil. Well, it's from diabolus. And it literally has the idea of false accuser. The devil can use the truth against us. You feel the devil reminds you of that. And he says, how can God have anything to do with you after the way that you have behaved? And you're thinking, yes, that's the truth. That's the truth. The devil is speaking the truth. If you even ascribe it to the devil, you think it's the truth. And he uses the truth. He uses your failures. He uses your cowardice. Uh, when you're challenged and you, you, you don't stand up for the Savior, he uses that. But he also uses lies against us. He lied to the woman in the garden when she said, we're not allowed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, lest we die. What did he say? Thou shalt not surely die. And he slandered God. He said, God knows that uh, you'll become as him. You'll be as great as God if you take from this tree of knowledge of good and evil. So you take it. No harm will come to you. Yes, he lied to the woman and he has been lying ever since. Christ said in John 8 and 44, he was a murderer from the beginning, but he also said he's a liar. The great liar is the devil. And he lied to the woman. He lies about God. How many people think God is a feeble character? How many people think that God is a severe person and harsh uh, and unremitting in his judgment, only caring that, that he might pounce on us and destroy us? Not the character of God at all. Who has lied? Who has slandered him? It is the devil and his cohorts. He lies about heaven. And especially he lies about hell. There's no hell. There's no God. There's no everlasting punishment for those who rebel against God and die unsaved. Word of God, full of mistakes, full of errors. 
Where are all these lies coming from? Coming from the devil. The very first thing he attacked was the word of God. Yea, hath God said. And then he changes it. And the devil tries to destroy the word of God. And he wants to get people away from the word of God. I remember listening to a tape of a minister. And he was waiting to get into his prayer meeting. He had a rented property. And as they were waiting uh, to get in, somebody had the key. A man came up to him and he said to him, this is my mother's Bible. You might be able to make use of it. And the minister said, you might want to use it yourself. His answer was, I wouldn't give it house room. The word of God, he wouldn't give it house room. Is the devil not behind that thinking? I had no time for the Bible. It's a dead book. It's a boring book. Uh, it's something for people who are eccentric to read. Oh, the lies that are spread by the devil. And then something more. He is sadistically cruel. Uh, we find here uh, that uh, he, uh, he's seeking to destroy and he goes about as a roaring lion. We can think of the cruelty that has been practiced, the cruelty of the Inquisition, when people were stretched and, uh, until the, 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 they were, their limbs were disjointed. How terrible. And then when they would not deny Christ, they were taken out and burnt at the stake. I've mentioned previously uh, the killings under Queen Mary, uh, known as Bloody Mary, because uh, she wanted to destroy those who stood for Protestantism. Uh, and Protestantism was uh, basically uh, not just uh, loyalty uh, to a nation, but it was loyalty to the Bible uh, as it came forth uh, at the time of the Reformation. Uh, and 288 or 289 burnt at the stake, 55 women, four children, uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury, four other bishops, and uh, 21 other ministers uh, of the Anglican Church burnt at the stake. The people looked. They saw the cruelty of Rome. But of course, they saw behind it the cruelty of the devil. Uh, and Christians brought into uh, the arena and uh, torn to pieces. The Waldensians were thrown down the Alps to their deaths. And John Milton wrote, Avenge, O Lord, thy slaughtered saints, whose bones lie scattered on the Alpine mountains cold. Beautiful words, beautiful poem, but expressing the horror, the horror of the poet at the treatment of the Waldensians. And in his cruelty, the devil wants to take men and women to hell. He wants to inflict as much misery and suffering as he can on mankind. You know, recently in England, there was a case of a young nurse. Uh, I, she was uh, convicted of killing, I think it was eight children, and attempting to kill uh, six or seven others. And as well, there are other cases where there is, are suspicions about that young woman. And, and people have been expressing uh, their hatred towards her. Uh, yes, what she did was vile and wicked. Uh, and saying that she should, uh, should never get out of prison. Uh, and uh, they all want her to be in hell. 
She did a horrible thing, horrible things. But then there's, there's no mention of the killing of, of the babies in the womb. Uh, you know, uh, many believe that a child can be killed in the womb right up until uh, the day before that child is due to be born. And is that not cruelty? Is it not on a par with what that young nurse did, that wicked uh, young woman and the cruel deeds that she inflicted upon families and upon the little children themselves? I say it is. And very recently, and it's a very sad case in England, a young woman of 19 who was dying of a, a degenerative disease appealed, appealed to the courts, at least through her lawyers, she appealed to the courts and she appealed to the hospital authority that she might be allowed uh, to live. And they decided, the court decided, that it was not in her interest. She's a Christian girl, I understand, 19 years old, the court decided that it was in the best interests of that young woman to die and they would not allow her name to be released. All that she was known by was her initials and her parents were threatened if they named her uh, with contempt of court and they could theoretically have gone to prison. After she died, for she did die, tragically, she died after she was died, just two or three days ago, her name was released. How cruel. Talk about euthanasia. The courts decided you'd be better off dead. They said she wasn't uh, of rational mind to make the decision for herself. And yet she knew what she wanted. She said, I want the chance to live. And her parents could have crowdfunded to take her to another country with the possibility, no certainty, but the possibility that a solution to, to the degenerative disease might be found. So you see the cruelty that there is. Cruelty on every hand and wickedness. And the, the devil wants to destroy. And then notice as a roaring lion, a roaring lion, the roar intimidates. I remember somebody telling me he was working near a safari park and he'd forgotten where he was, and a lion roared. And it scared the wits out of him, as we might say. Really scared him. Yes, that's intimidation. And the devil intimidates. Why are we so afraid to speak up for Christ? The world can, can say all sorts of horrible things, tell maybe some horrible joke, some rotten joke, and so many of God's people can't open their mouths. An unsaved person can blaspheme the name of Christ and we say nothing. Oh, never. Never be intimidated by the devil. That's what he wants to do. He wants to silence us. He wants to cripple our testimony. And many people are afraid to speak out for the Lord. They're afraid to witness. They're afraid to bear testimony against that which is evil. So this is the enemy. This is the enemy of your soul and mine. The enemy of God's people the enemy of the unsaved, the one who bears a deep-seated, and we might say an everlasting malice to mankind, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So that leads me to my last point. How can we? How can we overcome the devil? How can we defeat him? 
And the first thing in connection with this point that I'll say is he can, he can be overcome. In 1 John 4 and verse 4, we read, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Spirit of God dwells in every child of God. And the Bible says that if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So we have the Spirit of God dwelling within us. And John says, under inspiration, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. James says to us in chapter 4 and verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In Romans chapter 6, or sorry, Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, we are told that God will bruise Satan under our feet shortly. And the image is drawn from the Old Testament from the book of Joshua. When Joshua had defeated the kings of Jerusalem and Hebron and Jarmuth and Lachish and Eglon, he brought out the kings and he made them lie down on the ground. And then he said to his captain, step forward, and he says, put your foot on the neck of those kings. That was to signify that the kings and their soldiers had been defeated by Joshua and his soldiers, and now they were completely under the power of the Israelites. Their necks, there's a foot on the king of Jerusalem's neck, foot on the king of Hebron's neck and so on. And he can't move and he daren't move. He's under the power of Joshua and he's under the power of Joshua's soldiers, his captains. Uh, may I say this? It would be a disgrace to a military leader if he lost the battle to a less skillful, worse equipped and much smaller force if he had all the advantages, all the advantages in battle, and he managed to lose the battle, that would be a disgrace to that general. And he probably would never live it down. How could you? With, with all the resources you had, you, you had the advantage in ground, you had the advantage in equipment, and you had men of skill there, and you went out against a much weaker force, and somehow or other, you managed to lose the battle. I did mention uh, Churchill's statement about Montgomery, that he was indomitable in defeat. In other words, he, he might lose a skirmish, but he would never lose the overall battle. Uh, he, he would overcome, he would triumph in the end. And his great victory was in Africa at El Alamein. And uh, after that, he became famous uh, and eventually uh, became known as Field Marshal Lord Montgomery. He had advanced in every way. Uh, and that's how we need to be. We need to be indomitable. We need to be in a situation where we cannot accept defeat. We cannot accept defeat. And so in practical terms, and time is moving, in practical terms, what does Peter say we should do? Well, he says, be sober 
be vigilant. And then in verse 8, he says, Whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Be sober. And I've thought about that word, sober. It's not just refraining from taking alcohol or getting drunk. No, to, to best illustrate it in, in my mind, you think of something you say, that was a sobering experience. Sober. It, made you, it made you think very seriously, really seriously. And if we want to think, or if we want to defeat the devil, we've got to be serious as Christians. We've got to be serious. No flippancy. We've got to be serious. Life is serious. The battle against the devil is serious. Death is serious. Eternity is serious. Someone once said, life isn't a bowl of cherries. A bowl of cherries would mean nothing to me, but he meant it's not all sweetness in life. It's not all a laugh a minute. Life is a serious business. And preparing for eternity is a serious business. Let's take this seriously. And then it says be vigilant. You need to keep a watch on your life. You need to keep a watch on your prayer times. Are you clipping minutes off your prayer time until there's nothing left? You need to keep a watch on your Bible reading. A watch on your habits, lest you fall into ways of evil. Then a watch on loss of zeal. Have I less zeal now than I used to have than I had 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Do, do I just want to keep my feet up and sit there by the fireside and take life easy? Keep a watch on your zeal, on the loss of appetite for the word of God. Did you once come to the house of God with relish and feast your soul on the good things of God's word? And now are you uh, shifting about wondering when the service will be over? Yes, and we should watch over carelessness about sin and lightness about sin. Yes, be sober, be vigilant. But then we've got to resist the devil. It says, whom resist steadfast in the faith? The word steadfast indicates determination. Are you determined to be the best Christian you could possibly be? Are you determined to be out and out for God? Are you determined to battle against evil in your own heart, to battle against evil where you see it, to pray against it. And then it says you're to resist in the faith. Now, what does that mean? Well, it can mean uh, in faith and trust in the Lord or in the faith, the whole spectrum, we might say, of the faith. What is that? Well, think of who Christ is. Think about his precious blood. Think about Calvary. Think about the greatness of his salvation. Think about the promises of his presence with us. Think about the promises of his help. Think about the future glory that awaits the child of God. And of course, at the same time, think about the shame of acting in an unworthy fashion. Uh, so you have the whole spectrum of the faith and then you've trust, I, I commit myself to thee, O Lord. The hymn writer said, High heaven that heard 
the solemn vow, that vow renewed shall daily hear, till in life's latest hour I bow, and bless in death a bond so dear. Yes, a commitment every day. I am thine, Lord Jesus. I am thine. Uh, some have said that uh, in the Old Testament when we read, we are thine, thou son of Jesse, when they're swearing allegiance to David. Well, they've taken it over and they said, we are thine, thou son of God. Not the son of Jesse. We are thine, thou son of God. Thine we are. Thee will we serve. We will give our hearts to thee, Lord Jesus. You know, there's a great section at the end of First Thessalonians 5. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything gives thanks. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, approve all things, abstain from all appearance of evil, and so on. And they're short, pithy statements. And in a way, they sum up the stand we need to take, that we quench not the spirit. We don't despise the preaching. We prove all things. We abstain from all appearance of evil. Steer clear of it. Because if you indulge it in a little way, before long, you'll indulge it in a large way. So fight. Fight with all your might. Be manly. Uh, now, I know you ladies will say, that's not quite what we want to hear. But I said before, and I say again, many females are more manly than some weak and timid and insipid men. And then there's something to encourage us. He says, be sober, be vigilant. He says, resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. What's the comfort there? You're not alone. The same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. We sometimes think, nobody has had to face what I've had to face. Wrong. Wrong. The same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. Others have trodden this path before us. Others have overcome in this path. Others have felt failures and have had to cry to God, and the Lord has rescued them. You're not alone. You're not unique in that sense. Unique in some respects, but not in that sense. And then there's another comfort. You only face the devil in this world, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren in the world. Only in the world do we have these temptations and trials. When we come to the world that is future, when we leave this life, if we're saved, there is no Satan to contend with. There's no sin no sin to grieve us, our own sin included. No sorrow, no suffering, no pain, no death. We look into the face of the one who rescued us, the face of Jesus Christ. We can win. We will win if we are truly saved. But what about you if you're not saved? You're facing defeat. It's staring you in the face. Satan is a defeated foe. He was defeated at Calvary. One day, the Bible speaks of him being cast into the lake of fire. Yes, you're following a defeated, 
a defeated person, if you follow the devil, don't follow him. The Bible speaks in the words of Christ that hell is prepared for the devil and his angels. It doesn't say it's prepared for men. Why follow the devil? Why go down that road to hell? Why not flee from sin and flee to the Savior? He says, come. He doesn't say, away you go. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I. What a person is the I. Christ, the Son of God, our Creator, the one who died for sinners, I will give you rest. Come to him, taste and see that the Lord is good. Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we pray, bless thy truth to all of our hearts. Defeat the devil. We plead the blood. We plead the name of Jesus. And we ask these things for his sake. Amen.